Welcome back to ROC Tone Deaf. I'm Tone. And I'm Deaf. Glad to have you guys back from our last podcast where we featured Jack Brennick, who filled us in on the Irish music scene. I'll tell you, Deaf, he was great talking to him. A lot of things I learned that I didn't know before about Jack. No, he's a great musician. I'm also a member of the Irish band and the Hawaiian band that uh, he started. Well, I'll tell you, I would love to have him back on the show, and hopefully he'll consider it because I know he's got a lot more stories to tell. No, that would be great. I'm sure he will. Well, for this show, unfortunately, our guest couldn't make it because of his busy schedule. But he will make an appearance down the who, road. Who, who, who? Can't tell you, Def. <laughs> Come I wanna, on. Nah, I want to make sure people are still listening because I'll announce who that guest is at the end of this podcast. So stay with us. Well, at any rate, the movie that he likes I thought we would feature because he loves it so much that he can do amazing impersonations of the characters in this movie and let me tell you there are a lot of characters in this movie and the movie I'm talking about Def is Cool Hand Luke yes and we're going to do sort of a movie review of this movie and uh, also kind of learn some musical uh, ins and outs about it that you may not be aware of and I was quite surprised to find them out but first Let's give you some of the details of this film. It was made in 1967. It's an American prison drama. It was directed by Stuart Rosenberg, and it stars Paul Newman, who was nominated for uh, Best Actor, and George Kennedy, who plays one of the inmates that our star, Paul Newman, known as Luke, uh, will play up against. And George Kennedy will be nominated for Best Supporting Actor and actually win the Oscar. And that was great because for George Kennedy it meant that he was no longer typecast as bad guys in movies. And he went on to have uh, a stellar career after that. Now, the cast also will include Hollywood's future stars. Stars like... Who do we have? Like who? Well, stars like Strother Martin, Dennis Hopper. Henry Dean Stanton, all three of these guys would go on to play great character actors and TV stars like Wayne Rogers of MASH who played Trapper John and Ralph Waite from the Waltons. Very Pop- good. Papa Walton. Yes. <laughs> and there were also the, there was also the bad guy Anthony Zerbe who you see in a lot of movies in the 60s and 70s. Um, as a matter of fact, he plays one of the um, lepers in the movie Papillon with Steve McQueen Uh, and then also John or excuse me Joe Don Baker who played in the series of Walking Tall movies Joe Don Baker so big guy by the way Uh, he's also in the movie now Newman plays Luke a prisoner in a Florida prison camp and it's set in the early 50s and it's based on the author Don Pierce's experiences in a prison camp Now, he wrote a book, and it came out in 1965, and he was, in his previous life, a um, safecracker and a counterfeiter, (laughs) and those were the reasons why he went to that prison camp. Awesome. Yes. He also wrote the screenplay, and that was nominated as well. He went on to become a freelance journalist and wrote in some of your favorite publications, uh, Def, uh, Playboy, and Esquire (laughs) magazine. Yes, yes. I noticed those snappy outfits that you wear, Death, by the way, all coming out of Esquire. All from the 80s and 90s. Absolutely. I love your sense of timing. At any rate, 
He does make a, a, a cameo appearance in his movie, and he is the character or prisoner known as Sailor. So next time you watch the film, be a nice little game, find Sailor. And when you do, you can take a shot of whiskey. <laughs> At any rate, um, the film is basically an anti-establishment film. It features, and we've got the helicopters right on cue here, the Vietnam War. Right, right. You remember the Vietnam War, right, Dad? Certainly, yes, yes. yes. I was there for the 60s. Yes, yeah, yes. exactly. Well, at any rate, um, it, uh, this movie uh, features Luke, who is goes to jail, basically for, do you remember, Dev? Well, yeah, he was, uh, in the beginning, he was cutting uh, parking meters. Uh, I think he did about 12 of them or something. Just snapped him right off with some, some metal cutter. Did he take the money? He didn't take the money, no. Nope. So, sounds like he was looking to go to jail. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, when he ends up in the prison camp, the uh, prisoners all mock him out for why he was put in jail. But Luke, all he does is smile. And you were noting earlier that he doesn't have as much lyric, or yeah, excuse me, dialogue. The dialogue, right? He does not have a lot of dialogue in the movie. But what you see is that smile. And even George Kennedy's character who was known as Dragline, will make note of it throughout the movie. That smile he had, he said. That grin, that winning <laughs> grin he had, yeah. And it's throughout the movie. And uh, it's to me, it represented that, you know, he knew better, you know, kind of thing. <clears throat> yep. um, we're also going to see that um, uh, this film was filmed actually in California along the uh, San Joaquin River, and it was nowhere near... Uh, Gainesville, Florida, uh, but it was based on a prison in Gainesville, Florida. The movie went on to win four Oscar nominations, including uh, Best Original Music Score. And Lalo uh, Ekafrin, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, uh, was nominated for that. And Lalo does an amazing job on this movie. He had a background in pop music and jazz, and he uses that influence throughout the movie. Now, I bet uh, Def, you'd be surprised at how many instruments are going to be in this movie. How many? Well, uh, many. Uh, featuring, give us some, yes. I'll give you some. Uh, guitar, banjo, harmonica, trumpet, violin, flutes, and pa piano, to mention a few. All right. Now, one of the sequences, or one of the songs, I should say, on the album might be something very familiar to you. And it's known as Tar Sequence. And as a matter of fact, it's used... For, was used for a lot of local TV news theme songs, mostly for ABC News. And um, it was uh, the sound, if you will, of a telegraph going off. And it was used throughout 1968 to the 90s. And so just imagine this, Def, you know, as the news is coming on for the first time. And here it comes. Yeah. Breaking news, ROC Tone Deaf, breaking all records for listenership. Yes, right here on ROC Tone Deaf. Well, you get the idea. <laughs> any rate, um, there were uh, many uh, great songs in this movie, and uh, a lot of them didn't actually make the soundtrack. Uh, Harry Dan Steaton, Henry Dan Steaton, Henry Dan, Henry Dean Staten. There we go. Okay. He plays several songs in the background throughout the movie. Uh, you'll hear Midnight Special by him. 
uh, just a closer walk with thee. Ain't no grave can keep me my body down. And Cotton Fields are all songs that Henry uh, Dean Stanton plays in the background throughout the movie. So next time you watch the film, uh, watch out for that. But to me, the song that really touched me was a song called Plastic Jesus, sung tenderly by uh, Newman and his character Luke after he finds out that his mother has died and he grabs a banjo and he uh, very softly sings this song and tenderly breaks your heart. Uh, And, but unfortunately, uh, that's not on the soundtrack. But the song itself, or the music to it, is there. Now, Plastic Jesus was written by two guys, and this is kind of an interesting sidebar, uh, Def, uh, by a man by the name of Ed Rush and George Cromarty recorded it as a sort of humorous ad spoof back in 1962. Now, they were inspired by listening to a radio station in Del Rio, Texas in the mid-50s. And this station, believe it or not, bizarre as it sounds, was run by a dentist. (laughs) Yeah, and a religious fanatic who sold religious items with healing powers. Ah. Yeah, thus the idea of plastic Jesus being able to heal you. Um, We're going to see that there were over uh, a dozen versions of this song uh, throughout with several optional verses over the years. And a couple of, uh, well, it was performed by many different groups over the years. At least over a dozen uh, groups performed this song. What about some of the ones we might know? Can you mention some names? Yes, I can. Uh, The Flaming Lips and also Billy Idol, believe it or not, sang Plastic Jesus. So... For you uh, Lips fans or Idol fans out there, see if you can dig that one up. Now, back to the soundtrack, though, and the musicians that make up the soundtrack. Notably was a a Niagara Falls native right uh, next door to us here in Rochester. Tommy Tedesco, Def, who didn't live in Niagara Falls for very long. He, uh, at an early age, moved to L.A., but here's the interesting thing. He became one of the leading session musicians Uh, in Hollywood uh, on what was known as later, by the way, the Wrecking Crew. Oh, awesome. Now, this uh, group of uh, session musicians um, played a lot of top 40 hits and TV shows back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, they featured a lot of talented artists on the Wrecking Crew. Who do we have some of those? uh... I'm glad you asked that. Uh, Leon Russell, believe it or not, and... Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell. Yeah, yeah. was uh, also a member of the Wrecking Crew. There's also, Def, if you want to go and look it up, a 2008 documentary on the Wrecking Crew. Right, I did see that. It was it was great. Oh, gr- oh, good, good. Great time. And once again, the Wrecking Crew was a name that was attributed to them later in their career. It, they weren't known at as that in, at that time. No. Now, um, Tedesco, to show how p- talented he was, he played the mandolin. The ukulele, Jack Brennan, Brennick would have loved that, <laughs> right. uh, and the sitar, and 20 more instruments. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And um, he recorded with top artists such as Frank Sinatra, Barbara Streisand, and Mr. Elvis Presley himself. Oh. Yeah. The king. The king. Uh, he also was uh, played on some familiar and famous uh, movie uh, soundtracks besides Cool Hand Luke, and that was The Godfather, Deer Hunter. French Connection, 
and Jaws. Jaws. Believe it or not. Okay. Yes, John Williams. Dun, 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 dun. Yes, the great John Williams even used them in terms of a session musician. Um, he died in 1997 of lung cancer. Uh, however, uh, the Niagara Falls Music Hall of Fame inducted him in 2017. So, Def, next time you're in Niagara I Falls. I go watch the water, I'll go to the museum. Oh, that's so awesome, I could look man. up uh, Tommy T. Stay away from that gambling parlor. <laughs> you know my addiction. I do. Yes, yes. All right. Now, critics of the soundtrack, all positive. As a matter of fact, one line stood out to me where a critic said that the first five minutes of the album alone are enough to give one the clear indication that this is no ordinary score. Now, another musical connection uh, besides the soundtrack is one of the great all-time rockers out there, John Cougar Mellencamp, who I believe, Def, he wants to just now be known as John Mellencamp. I believe that's right. Yes. Yeah. And he, he explained that, by the way, that it was all the music industry that forced the Cougar name on him. That's right. Uh, because Mellencamp, they felt, wasn't a proper rock and roll name. Right. But that's what I heard, too. He's, he, he's quite a guy, though. I recently saw him while I was doing my research on the movie, um, coincidentally, on Turner Classic Movies uh, last Friday. What was he doing there? He was guest programmer, and one of his favorite movies was Cool Hand Luke. So what awesome. a coincidence. It is. Uh, and uh, only a coincidence that would delight me, unfortunately. But at any rate, um, Cougar was, or excuse me, Mellencamp was talking about how he related to Luke who was an anti-establishment character. And I guess if we look at Mellencamp's songs, a lot of songs are uh, anti-establishment. I would say so, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he had gone to New York City, he explained, uh, for art school and a career in music. And he chose music simply because music paid and art didn't at the time. He had to pay to go to school, and he could make money playing in a band. So he chose the music. But... He is a passionate painter to this day. He paints every day, and he sells his paintings, too, and they're quite good. They had, uh, if you will, uh, his studio up and running and showing on the show uh, mm. some of his artwork. He, uh, by the way, is uh, definitely in, uh, influenced by the German Impressionists oh. uh, painters, and a lot of his paintings uh, reflect that. Uh, now, um, he wasn't just uh, a rock and roll star and uh, lover of music. Uh, and a lover of art, but he was also a lover of women. As a matter of fact, he dated Christy Brinkley and Meg Ryan and had time for three wives and five kids. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, back to his movie career. He also was inspired by Cool Hand Luke in terms of getting into movies. That movie really inspired him, and he wanted to uh, date, excuse me, uh, wanted the rights, excuse me, to the movie called The Misfits, starring Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe. Now, this movie was written by Arthur Miller, who was the famous playwright uh, back in the 1950s, especially when he wrote the famous play, uh, The Crucible. Now, Miller refused to give the movie up, but his wife at the time, who had succeeded Monroe, uh, of course, was jealous of Marilyn Monroe and knew that Miller wrote the movie for Marilyn Monroe, and she was yelling, uh, the Cougar recollects uh, continually at Miller saying, just sell the damn movie. <laughs> and of course, Miller continued Give to Give us refuse. the money. Yep, exactly. Mm. Uh, he also uh, acted and directed, and he uh, did both in the film Falling from Grace is the name of that film. So, Def, if you're 
looking for a film one night to watch. Maybe you can dig that one up. I will dig it up. Now, he was also originally offered, believe it or not, the Brad Pitt role in Thelma and Louise. Yeah. And guess why? 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 He turned it down. Because they told him he had to take his shirt off. Wow. And he was too modest. All right. All right. And uh, basically... Uh, he said that if he had taken his shirt off, he probably would have been a great star like Brad Pitt today. And have no music career. <laughs> so, oh, well. You know. C'est la vie. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's some other interesting things about the movie in terms of casting. Believe it or not, they originally wanted to cast Jack Lemmon in the lead oh, role. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That would have been a disaster. Oh, no, I, I think so, too. Yeah. Um, and... Telly Savalas was also considered for the lead role. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I could see him in the George Kennedy role, maybe, but not the lead not role. The, yeah, yeah. No. But lucky for them, Newman had sniffed out this movie and asked to play the role after hearing about it. Uh, he even traveled to West Virginia to research local culture. And, uh, boy, after what you see him do in the movie, he did a good job now, of that. Now, was Newman into the salad dressing thing at that time? No, he wasn't. He, oh. Matter of fact, this movie hadn't yet really launched him as a great star. Okay. But okay. after this movie, he really had his foot secure as a... And was raking in the money. Yeah, and one of the top superstars in film yep. back then. Um, the other interesting uh, actor in the movie was Morgan Woodard, Woodward. excuse me. He played Boss Godfrey, or the guy that had the gun and the sunglasses and the men referred to him as the man with no eyes and he morgan woodward uh kind of used inspiration from one of faust's characters uh known as mephistopheles who was a lot of people considered to be the devil like the devil yeah no but no uh as a matter of fact i did a little research on this and mephistopheles was actually an agent of the devil mm, that right. would go down and collect the souls of people who had sold their souls right. to the devil. Right, right. And so he was also sort of known like a real estate broker. Yeah. I so do you, do you can you remember the yes? Uh, <laughs> I, I do remember the character. Yes, in the movie because I just watched it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what what did he look like? Tell her. I mean, he he had the um, you know the the dark glasses, right? Yep. And uh, no eyes. No eyes. No smile. No expression. No right, expression. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. And that's to me, that's hard to do mm-hmm. in a movie, to carry yeah. it off the whole time where you have no expression. And as a matter of fact, at the end of the movie, um, he is going to shoot and kill Luke. Uh, spoiler alert. I think I'm supposed to say spoiler alert first and then tell the end. Right? <laughs> that's okay. It's been out for 100 years. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. If you haven't seen the movie yet, too bad. That's right. Any rate, uh, I guess one of... Another interesting character that's in the movie is Joy Harmon. Do you remember her? I do, actually. And what? how does well, she, she appear <laughs> in the movie? <laughs> she uh, is washing a car, and all you see is uh, her uh, from the neck down to her, well, just below her boobs. Mm-hmm. She's in a bikini right. washing a car window. And, right. And the men are watching her. Right. And they're going nuts. Absolutely, they're going nuts. And this is while the boys are out on the chain gang. Uh, One day sweating, uh, thirsty, and, uh, well, hungry for other things than just food at that time. And joy is definitely joy for them. But she she has no name, by the way. She's just, this is the interesting thing about her. Uh, She's just an object in the film that the men are basically drooling over. Now... Uh, she's washing a car, and she's also using the sponge and the suds oh, right. Right. for, uh, if you will, effect mm-hmm. in the film. And it's done quite well. Yes. Now, the 
the thing background about that was at first they wanted to film this uh, scene in just half a day which makes a sense makes sense she's just washing a car right right yeah but unfortunately the director uh, had made it a rule that he had banned wives and children from the set because he wanted the men to experience if you will this prison-like life you know devoid of, of women uh, and so mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. even more so to see a, a beautiful woman on the roadside washing her car in her uh, at her uh, roadside home uh, would have more effect but here's the strange thing the director did not film them together the prisoners enjoy they they were filmed separately and we'll see that um, he used uh, first of all uh, Joy Harmon and called out direction to her what she should be doing while she was washing the car then after that he brought the men in and he sh uh, let them you know improvise and believe it or not instead of having joy there they had used a cheerleader girl in a overcoat as the object that they were you know basically going very, crazy very over weird, yes. very bizarre yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it took three days to film all of this and the whole time poor joy Harmon was holed up in a hotel room uh and could not come out of the hotel room uh, except for her uh part wow to be filmed yeah crazy stuff it is it is now speaking of crazy here's another favorite thing that i like in film and that's what why tell me tell me tell me tell I, the audience i love themes in movies. oh all right and okay. this one had christian imagery in ah, it. All right. so can you explain what the egg uh contest was all about in you movies? know i'll have to pass on that one okay well in this one the eggs were used as a bet that Luke claimed to the prisoners he could eat 50 eggs, and they took him up on it. And of course, the the uh, the contest was won easily by Luke. And you remember this? I, I remember. At the end of the contest, what happened to Luke? He's on a table, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it looks like he's on a crucifix. He has his arms spread out, and it gives you that imagery that he's on a cross. Absolutely. And throughout the rest of the movie, you start to get these imageries of Luke being a saint, Christ-like. And the crucifixion imagery uh, pops up several more times yes. throughout yeah. the movie. And it's just great to look for it and find it when you do. Um, he challenges God throughout the movie. Yeah. And especially after, as I said before, his mother dies. As a matter of fact, Luke throughout the movie challenges God. And at the end of the movie, he's uh, in a church. He's escaped. And it's a, it's a deserted church that he's in and George Kennedy or Dragline, the character Dragline, are there. They both escape from the prison, but unfortunately, um, after they decide to split up, Luke, in the church, begins to talk to God again. And it represents when uh, Jesus talks to God at the Garden of Gethsemane in the Bible, and he's got his doubts about things. And this is leads up to the uh, Last Supper, if you will, and then suddenly, Dragline comes back into the church and says, we can't go anywhere. They got us. They've caught us. And he tells them that uh, basically they're going to give us our old uh, beds together again and we're going to have everything back the way it was. And of course, Luke knows this is not going to happen. And Dragline represents Judas. So Judas. Yeah, in this, in, in terms of it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Luke knows better. He goes to the window and that's when... Um, 
spoiler alert, um, <laughs> that's when um, the man with no eyes will shoot him dead. And of course, George Kennedy is shocked by this. And um, he goes out and charges and beats up uh, the guard before they pull him off of him. And uh, at the end of the movie, uh, Cool Hand Luke is taken away in a car, dying. And one of the sheriffs in the town says, we could take him to a local hospital. And the warden, Struther Martin, says, never mind, we're taking him back to the prison. And of course, Luke's going to die. The last scene of the movie, though, is George Kennedy out on the road crew telling the story of Luke to the uh, new prisoners. It's and, a legend. Right? Yeah. A legend. Mm-hmm. And as the camera is pulling back, you'll see the crossroads, which represents the crucifix. But you'll also see a photo of Luke with two women that he had his picture taken with one of the times that he escaped and went into the city, and he had his picture taken with these women. Now, the interesting thing about that picture in the movie was that Luke, if you recall, um, brings that picture back, and the men are all impressed. But then later, Luke admits that it was a fake. and It was all staged, right? It was all staged, and they rip it up on Luke. But now the photo is taped back together again in the last scene, and you'll see the creases of that taped-up photo forms a crucifix. And, you know, sort of mended, if you will, his legacy uh, to the people of that chain gang. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, the George Kennedy character uh, is going to continue that uh, legacy. Now, one last thing. Okay, sure. What what do you have? Yes, and I hope you're not falling asleep on me. I know my listeners are. Now, you know, Tony, sometimes, you know, movies are just movies. Uh, Now, it depends, you know, you see a lot of deep meaning into some of these sometimes you know well def that isn't going to stop me because <laughs> the traffic lights we have to oh, talk about the traffic oh, oh, lights all right, all now right, as you right. recall in the beginning of the film there were traffic lights throughout as he's breaking the yeah the, the, the parking, parking meters, meters right and violation is on the parking meters yeah. well as soon as he's arrested by the police if you look at the traffic light it goes from green to red and the same thing happens here at the end of the movie after Luke is killed. You'll see the traffic light go from green to red and kind of the traffic light, if you will, imagery uh, plays out. Now, just to wrap up, in terms of the legacy of the film, we have to talk about that. Um, And as a matter of fact, I did forget this, Struther Martin. When Luke looks out the window and he sees the uh, police surrounding him, he spouts out the famous lines that Strother Martin, the warden, makes famous in that movie. I don't know if you remember it or not, Def. What is it going to say? What we have here is a failure to communicate. Exactly. Now, uh, but Paul Numa doesn't get all the, the line out, right? And he's shot dead. Before yeah, the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that line has become a legacy. As a matter of fact, um, it is uh, in the AFI list of all-time great lines in a movie. And that's pretty impressive when you think of the great lines in in movies and in terms of the movie itself it's number 71 in the AFI's list of most inspiring movies so that's the American Film Institute's list right? Ah, yes right Def you know so that's all I got Def and like you said sometimes it's just a movie but in this case no it was an in-depth review it was it was excellent oh well I'm glad you enjoyed it Def and hopefully some of you listeners out there kept listening because now I'm going to announce who our next guest is going to be. All right, who is it? Drum roll. And the drum roll is appropriate because we have another drummer that is going to appear on the show. 
the great Larry Casey. Larry now, Casey? Yeah. All right. Now, Larry Casey, for some of you that don't know, he is a drummer that you probably see around town smiling and playing those drums for so many different bands, uh, but never knew his name. Well, you're going to know a lot more about him in our next show and how important he is to the music community. Larry has played on a lot of different bands in his lifetime, and he's going to share those stories on our next show. Oh, I can't wait for that. Good. Me neither. Good. Good. He's quite a character, so right. trust me. And maybe we can get him to do a few uh, uh, Cool Hand Luke imitations. Good, much better than I did. <laughs> me too. Well, that's going to do it for us here, Def. Uh, I want to thank our listeners for being patient and yes, listening. thank you, listeners. Very much so. And um, if uh, you like us, hit that like button. And if you don't like us, don't say anything. And if you want to make any comments, send them to our email list along with any government secrets that you have as well. Please, please. And until then, I'm Tone. I'm Def. And together we make ROC Tone Def. And once again, we thank Fiorella's for sponsoring ROC Tone Deaf. Yes, Fiorella's located at the Rochester Public Market where they serve fine Italian cuisine where the people and the food are bellissimo.